Hello, Brad here. Just to say we're super proud that the Friday 5pm podcast is sponsored by the Malt Miller, the UK's best home brew store. We use the Malt Miller for all of our homebrew experiments, as well as tapping them up for advice and binging on their awesome YouTube channel all the time. That's why whenever we release a homebrew video, we put a recipe kit live on the Malt Miller, so you can brew with the exact same amazing ingredients that we did. The same ingredients used by pro brewers. So alongside the Malt Miller's nitro-flushed hops, cold-stored yeast and milled-to-order malts, you can pick up recipe kits for our Five Points Best Bitter, Russian River West Coast IPA, and now the fastest beer in the world, a hazy session IPA that goes from grain to glass in less than 48 hours. Sign up to their newsletter at tinyurl.com forward slash maltmiller to get 5% off your first order. With the Malt Miller's amazing customer service and Johnny's 48-hour recipe, you could order the ingredients on a Monday and be drinking the beer by the weekend. Speaking of which, it's Friday. It's 5pm. So enjoy this week's Friday 5pm podcast. Hello, big geeks. It's Friday. It's 5pm. I hope you have a beer in your hand and maybe a friend with you, because I certainly do. Bradley. Brad, Brad, Bradley. Oh yeah, that's right. Brad is swanning about in Amsterdam, having the time of his life, while I am here. Uh, well, I can't complain too much. I have a beer in my hand. It's a Friday afternoon, and we're about to attempt the... Well, I was about to say attempt the impossible. I really hope it isn't impossible. But basically, it's going to be a beer-fueled version of Just a Minute, as I do our first ever solo podcast and try to waffle on for 20 minutes. Um, I think we can expect plenty of hesitation, plenty of deviation, and plenty of repetition. Um, so yeah i won't be winning any awards or being invited on to just a minute to meet paul merton but hopefully i can still provide this wonderful weekly wind down that we hope that the friday 5 p.m provides you and luckily there is so much news to digest so much stuff happening in the craft beer channel world at the moment that it should be relatively easy to do and the very top of that list has to be the sale of bell's brewery to lion so Bellsbury are a bit of an enigma, to be honest, because they're actually, they might even be in the top 10 biggest breweries, uh, biggest craft breweries in the US. And yet they've kind of flown under the radar, um, despite being huge and despite having an IPA in Bell's Two Hearted that is universally adored. It's won so many awards. It's been voted best IPA in the world by polls and by websites um, for years and years, sort of duking it out with Pliny or Pliny the Elder uh, from Russian River. And I think the reason it doesn't quite have the kind of mythical status that, that Pliny does is, A, it, it was made a little bit later, but B, Pliny is basically not available outside of California or even not far outside of Son- Sonoma County and, and maybe San Francisco. There's the odd bar around the country that has uh, that is close enough to, to the family that, that own it um, to have it on draft. But generally, you have to go to that place to drink it, whereas Bell's is absolutely everywhere really loads and loads of states stock bell's beer and too hard to be in the flagship means that it's kind of all over the place but it is a really delicious west coast ipa and when it's landed on the shores in the uk as it has done occasionally it's very exciting to try and when i've traveled and me and brad have traveled we've we've always tried to track it down because it's so good so for a brewery like that to sell should have been a really big deal and it feels like two things might be happening either i've stopped reading uh the the furious accounts that always appear uh when when these sales happen or b a lot of people have got numb to it and those tweets aren't really 
being sent. I think it was a real shock when breweries like Lagunitas sold, Goose Island sold, in the UK when, when Camden did and, and when Beavertown did. And actually, we've got to the point where we're just not surprised. We're, you know, the only real surprise is who it is. It's like, oh, and, you know, I didn't expect them. But yeah, I mean, these are the moves that the, the macro brewers are making. And we just have to sort of sit and watch our friends get picked off one by one. Um, so maybe, yeah, we're, we're getting a little bit numb to it. There's not so much you can say. There's only so many times you can rehash the the arguments about independence and ethics and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And I will rehash them in a minute. Don't you worry. But I think that, you know, Twitter outrage is is pretty tiring, whether you're on the receiving end or whether you're you're the perpetrator of it. Um, and perhaps we're getting numb and exhausted by it. But there's also a possibility that the perception is starting to change around these big sales. I think a couple of breweries that people really, really love and that haven't been sort of on their soapboxes singing about independence their entire time... Um, a couple of those have been bought and I think changed some minds when they've been well looked after by the big breweries, when nothing's really changed, when they've effectively sort of uh, mediated the, 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 the backlash that has come uh, come their way. And people have started to go, well, hey, maybe these macro, macro sales aren't the end of the world maybe it's not the end of the brewery or maybe people have just recognized that you know even if you do never want to drink that particular beer again you know you really really don't have to there's thousands of other breweries that you can support and it's a bit of a shame that you can't drink fat tire anymore but you know there's actually maybe there's not that many other session sort of red ales out there but bad example there's lots of other lagunitas ipas i can assure you of that so you can just sort of move along and 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 try not to worry yourself you know life's too short to to worry about something that you can easily replace but i think it's kind of a mix of all three but from a personal perspective and i I think brad agrees well i can't hear him uh can't hear him disagreeing um is that there has been a slight shift away from big is always bad towards if you're going to be big, you have to do it right. Because something that Kraft didn't really think about when it was defining itself and getting on its soapbox 20, 30 years ago was the fact that many of these breweries would get extremely big. I mean, Sierra Nevada uh, is is absolutely giant. And yet we still see them... Well, we see them as a, a the father figure of Kraft to some extent. Um, but we also still see them as a very modern, very relevant beer. Like this time of year, everybody's singing the praises of Celebration Ale, which is their fresh hop, wet hop, green hop uh, IPA. Um, and, and we, you know, we're totally okay with the size, totally okay with probably some pretty fierce play to make sure that their their brands do well, particularly outside of um, where they are in, in, in California and sort of their, their, their home turf. Um, and, and you know that that's no shade on Sierra Nevada. I think it's it's brilliant that we have a very large, completely independent, family-owned brewery. I think the tagline is "family-owned and fought over," which I think is amazing. Um, and I, I think that's brilliant. I wish there were more Sierra Nevadas um, because, really, the the main issue we have with macro brewers is the fact that they reduce the amount of competition you know they they create monopolies and don't have to compete and that means that their products don't need to be as as exciting as innovative uh the pricing can be you know it's really really competitive um and by that i mean really really low which means that other people can't compete and those that's sort of where the the dislike of macro beer kind of came from now that we have breweries that big that kind of message is slightly lost so we've had to adapt it but i also think that because of the recent 
condemnation of you know full-on toxic uh, workplace environments that have happened in these you know quick-growing um, almost kind of given sort of a carte blanche to do what they want craft breweries where you know being small and independent was enough and people didn't really question any further as to the ethics or what was going on behind the scenes that means that we've started to have a debate within the beer industry about you know is it the ethics that matters or is it the independence now to me increasingly i sort of had this revelation a couple of years ago to me, independence is is a means to an end. It's not the end in itself. Independence in and of itself is of no benefit to anyone, really. It's what you do with that independence. So if you use that independence to pay your employees incredibly well, to offer incredible benefits to those employees, to you know be extremely sustainable in your practices of brewing, to hold events and raise money for charity... Um, to you know to be as diverse as you can in your employment policies and in your marketing um and to support causes and local causes in particular that really matter to you then you're using independence incredibly well but at the same time there's lots of bigger breweries that are investing in those same things but they don't have that kind of calling card that marketing benefit of being independent and you know there's not many big breweries doing that to be fair, and that's why we should still be hugely sceptical of big breweries and big brewery buyouts. But, you know, you look at what we did with Asahi, um, and I realise it could be claimed that Asahi have sort of bought our, bought our opinion here, but Asahi put some money behind uh, our playlist, Keep Cask Alive, because they wanted to raise the entire category. You know, they bought Fuller's. You know, Fuller's have been sold by the owners because there wasn't a lot of growth or a lot of profit in it. And the, the family that owned it just saw more interest, more financial interest, certainly, in the pub group. So that sale, in some ways, was for the best. Asahi wanted to to help Fuller's grow. Obviously, it, it, it's a financial decision that they've made there and they need it to grow. But they didn't think, you know, can we go out there and, and slash our prices and, and undercut people and, and buy buy lines in pubs necessarily? They went out there and went... The category we bought into as a whole is struggling. So how do we go about fixing that? And it wasn't just that they um, they they sponsored our playlist and gave us the opportunity to make those five pretty good films, to be honest. Um, it also, you know, they're doing so much behind the scenes that they, they've told about around cars quality, around reducing wastage, around training uh, for people that are going to serve these beers and trying to kind of repair the reputation of car scale, which is you know really bottomed out in the last couple of years and has not been helped by craft because craft has to some extent identified it against those very traditional british breweries and and, and british beers so asahi there have have decided that the best thing they can do for this category uh, well ra- rather the best thing they can do for fullers is to improve the category um and you know obviously they have their own motives there but they are a motive that it's almost altruistic and that they think that they can bring other people with them and that's going to help them so what i'm trying to say i guess is that we we should treat each sale on a case-by-case basis and look at who's bought it who's sold it what the reasons are um, and what's going to happen over the, the the coming years and you know, we we pretty much have a motif here, which is never Heineken, and we hate to see Heineken making investments in the into the craft beer industry because of all the accusations that are against them that show that, you know, even even if one of the hundreds of accusations about them are true, then they're a company we should never touch or ever support. Um, 
AB InBev, I'm always caught. We talk a lot about Goose Island uh, Bourbon County Stout on this channel because we think it's one of the best beers in the world. But equally, you know, that firm has been fined for um, breaching anti-competition laws, for pretty much bribing um, bribing pubs to take their beer by playing around with pricing or pay-to-play sort of um, systems, which remarkably is totally illegal in the UK and done constantly, but in America is is rightly uh, completely illegal. So they, you know, they've done stuff like that. And you look at Lion, um, Lion are, are owned by Kirin, who also own the Myanmar Brewery, who have been accused of, of funding the genocide, funding the army that, that's perpetrating the genocide. You know, that, you know that's a million degrees away um, from the people that are working on that sale and away from the employees of, of Bells, but it still does taint that a little bit. And it's that kind of thing that we need to be aware of. We need to go deeper than just the outrage on social media and dig into that. Um, the other point I wanted to make about this is that we also need to consider what else would have happened. So with, with the Asahi buying Fuller's deal, there was real worry that the Fullers would sell the Griffin Brewery, their beautiful historic brewery, which also has the oldest, one of the oldest trees in the world, I believe, certainly the oldest wisteria in England there. They were going to sell that and move the Fullers Brewery out where they could pay less rent, you know, have lower overheads because they don't have to look after this listed building. Um, and that would have certainly lost something for Fullers. And one of the uh, assurances that Asahi have made is that that's where they're going to stay. And you have to look at Bells in the same way. You know, the the, the founder was getting on in age and didn't have a kind of succession plan. Um, so as somebody tweeted, I, I forget who it was, you, you either transfer at the end of you know your career or you sell or you close, you know? And that's something that also Kraft 30 years ago didn't fully think out when it was coming out against macro breweries. You know, everybody has to have an exit strategy, whether that's handing it to your, your son or daughter or whether it's selling it to another brewery or... or or whether it's literally just walking away and closing that brand. Um, and I think that that's, that's coming come to roost at the moment as lots of people who have been in the industry for 30, 40 years, it probably wasn't the first thing that they started out doing. So they're reaching retirement age and they're looking at at what the future is going to be. Um, you know, and from, from my politics, the dream would be that it would become employee-owned. That's, I think, the, the best exit you can do. Um, but that's not that's not always possible, um, and probably on on the scale that bells are at, an incredibly uh, technically difficult thing to pull off. Um, so yeah, I I honestly don't have a huge opinion on bells. I think. This summer, I'm going to be hosting talks at the Manchester, Bristol and London Craft Beer Festivals, giving festival goers the chance to attend tutored tastings, rare beer pours, meet the brewers and even guided tours of the bars. These three festivals are the highlights of my event's calendar, featuring some of the world's best breweries with delicious restaurant pop-ups, great music and a really welcoming party atmosphere. It's the third year I've been hosting the We Are Beer Tastings table, but for the first time I'm delighted to offer all of our listeners, viewers and Patreons £5 off a ticket when you use the code CBC5. Just hit the link in the description to buy. See you there. I wish it wasn't lying. I wish it was a, a brewery with with a with a better human rights record. But equally, if they're going to look after that brewery, um, you know, 
you could justify it in your mind as it being a good thing for Bells because who knows what else would have happened. So it's a really interesting debate, and I'm glad that it's it's gone kind of grey, which I think is why the outrage on social media has reduced because social media has never been good at nuance. Um, and and as soon as there is some, then it becomes much harder to have those those conversations. Uh, obviously, I'd love to know your thoughts. If you've got any questions about um, this kind of thing, then do send them into craftbeerboys at gmail.com. Um, ideally record them and we'll play them on this podcast or just write them to us and we'll read them out and we'll we'll take them on uh with bradley uh by my side um the other exciting thing that's been happening of late is the release of beer masters which is uh an amazon prime homebrew reality show basically it's the great british brew off uh but thankfully they've they've brought people in from all kinds of countries and it's sort of the great european brew off i guess um and i was I mean, I really enjoyed it. I've watched two episodes. It's hosted by a friend of mine, Jager, who um, also works at Wildcard and is a presenter on the Radio 4 food program and is an amazing broadcaster and she does a fantastic job and is a fantastic brewer. And I can't think of a better person to have presented it. On that note, she's next to James Blunt, which is a left field choice until you work out how this TV show has been funded. Um, James Blunt is an ambassador for Stella Artois and um, the whole thing is funded by uh ab InBev. so you know that never used to be possible in the uk you wouldn't be able to broadcast it there because you you can't sort of have full-on sponsored tv in the uk but with amazon prime it's it's slightly different or with netflix so it's all funded by ab InBev. all the breweries that they visit to get inspiration for the home brews that go into the home brewing competition are camden breweries uh, sorry <laughs> ab InBev breweries the first one is camden um and they go to several others i think including stella later in the series um but it's still really good fun i think what we have to remember is if you're listening to this podcast you're listening to me waffle on we're probably very deep into the beer bubble and we probably know most of what's being told in beer masters we understand the styles we understand the processes we probably homebrew to a level not far from the the people that are on the show and so for us there's there's a lot of like yep yep i know but actually and it's something the craft beer channel has to be very careful of as as well you've got to start at the bottom and introduce everybody to it and i think that that's what this show is going to be really really good at it's going to get so many people super excited about homebrew they're going to see how easy it is how social it is how fun it is and how if there's any kind of engineering or artistic or kind of love of food or indeed all three in you then homebrewing is going to be a brilliant hobby um so yeah, again, like like with the like with the sale of bells, like I think it's it could be a good thing, um, and we just have to have a nuanced view on it. And I think I think at the very least, it's been done extraordinarily well, and Jager does a a great job. And there are some really interesting styles. Uh, that first episode where they had to make an easy drinking beer, those homebrewers have a wild a wild opinion on what is an easy drinking beer. We had a breaded saison, we had an apple pie infused kind of amber ale, we had. A black IPA, you know, these are not easy drinking beers. This is the kind of stuff that somebody coming to coming to beer new or somebody's going, oh, I just want a quiet pint tonight. They're not going to pick those. So that was that was a great enjoyment to do to, to me. I really enjoyed seeing these people's perception of what is easy drinking. Um, the other big news I can tell you about, which is very small, really, but they've taken the thumbs down away on YouTube. Just just got rid, so you can still click it but you'll never know how many other people have clicked that, which is really nice because we have a troll out there who every video we put out just puts one thumbs down on. Um, and, you know, we'll still be able to see that person doing that. We don't know who it is. I've got some suspicions. But you guys won't. 
Um, and you won't ever know when we do a really bad video because all you'll see is the thumbs up. Um, and I'm all for that. So on that note, let's move over uh, to this week's video, which was, uh, as I termed it last week while chatting it through with Brad, clickbait with a conscience. Um, so we did a video a couple of years ago, which was about the strongest beer in the world with um, with Brewdog. We obviously wouldn't do a video with Brewdog ever again. Um, but we did that back then before we knew everything. And it went as close to viral as we've ever got. It's now sat at 250,000 views. It's brought in about 3,000 subscribers. Hello, if you're one of them. Um, and so we tried to do a similar thing again with the Fuller's 1997 vintage. So um, an incredibly rare, incredibly expensive 25-year-old beer um, that we got to try while we were filming uh, the final episode of Keep Cask Alive. And we thought we could make a clickbaity video, but one that would be really fun and really educational. So we wanted everybody who watched it to walk away not thinking they had to spend 600 quid on a beer but thinking that they could spend 20 and get a similar experience to help them understand what aged beer can be like what it should be like what it shouldn't be like how to care for it um, and also we wanted to drive people to the Carscale Alive uh, playlist and I mean the comments have been absolutely joyous on this video we've had lots of people say that you know this is kind of clickbait done right which um Mean, means the world actually that that we've got that right because it's a tricky balance to to strike but all the great comments uh, come from the fact that the beer is 25 years old so in the video i say that that's the year 1997 the year that i started secondary school um i've really enjoyed seeing some other comments coming in somebody saying that's older than my mini somebody saying that's older than my marriage somebody saying that that's the same year that they went to see independence day um i love that that that's a cultural reference point for you um i mean i love independence day like like as much as the next man. But um, I wouldn't call it something seminal that happened in 1997 compared to, um, I don't know, Blair coming to power? Uh, you've got to have something more interesting than that, Johnny. Uh, I think we said that was maybe when um, when OK Computer came out. But yeah, so somebody, that that's what it reminded somebody of. Um, the other wonderful comments we've had have been around the question that I put. I always put a question in the pin as the pinned comment on each video to get people chatting. Um, and my question this week was, uh, what's the most you've ever spent on a beer? And more importantly, was it worth it? Um, it's a real mixed bag. Lots of people saying I spent... Um, oh, somebody spent over $150 on McKellar Blackfish. Still haven't drunk it. Um... Still has five years before its best before date. Um, Nevitt T. Smith, I'd say drink that. I think they might have been a bit ambitious with that. Uh, particularly with contract brewed beer, you never know how well it's packaged. So um, I get that. Uh, get that down, yeah. Uh, Maxwell Wadlow spent $45 on an Almanac Grand Cru Red. Still, still uh, Maxwell's favourite beer of all time. So that was definitely worth it. Um, Joseph Bridges is uh, talking about uh, somebody spent 30 quid on a bottle of Brooklyn Sriracha Ace and wasn't blown away. And then somebody's come on, on there on there and gone, I got it for eight dollars. Um, so good to see there's lots of support in the comments there. Um, somebody paid 45 pounds for a 750 bottle of uh, Drie Fontaine and Homage. And it's definitely worth it. I agree. I've paid about that for a bottle and it is an absolute stunner. Although I find Drie Fontaine in a little bit. Uh, unreliable um some of the blends are way off what they should be um but when it's right 
it is beautiful. Um, so yeah, thank you for all of those comments. Um, it really, really set off, uh, set a light in the comments, and that was really nice. It hasn't done the numbers that the Brewdog one did, but we're not too bothered by that. It's driven lots of people to the playlist um, and got lots of people talking, so that's great. And hopefully, a couple of people are buying some vintage ales to enjoy uh, in a couple of years. Um, so yeah, that's everything that I had to say this week. I, I feel like I've managed to fill the air. Um, plenty of repetition, hesitation, um, but hey, I mean, what did you expect? Um, the last bit, <clears throat> the last few things that I need to add is on Sunday, we have our podcast with Ollie Smith going live. So this is kind of the full stop on the Car Scale series that we did, in which we talked to him about the videos, about our idea for the campaign. We talked to him about English wine and how that might have had a similar kind of journey to Cask. Um, and and lots of other really interesting sort of side quests, I guess you could you could call them uh, to the campaign. Uh, Ollie is an absolute hero of mine and of Brad's, um, and it was absolutely wonderful to catch up with him. And it's a really great listen. I can assure you, there is no uh, hesitation in that. It is uh, non-stop uh, with Ollie. He's a wonderful communicator on on everything, not just wine. Um, so that's a great podcast. That will be live by the time you get up on Sunday. Um, and then next week, you'll be pleased to know that it's all Brad with the. Video Video. We've got our next lowbrow episode, which is um, wonderful gifts. So we're not calling it a Christmas video. It's a little bit early and we wanted it to be evergreen. But uh, it is some amazing gadgets that he thinks are worth picking up. They're all four star or higher gadgets um, that you guys can pick up uh, as a gift for yourself or a gift for somebody who who really loves beer. Um, and obviously, because it's a lowbrow, it's a lot of fun. And Brad's unique take on um on everything is very evident throughout um so yeah that's uh, the wednesday upload so we'll see you there uh, in the comments section for that love and beer the bubble and friday 5 p.m podcasts are brought to you by the nerds behind youtube's craft beer channel you can watch over 400 mini documentaries at youtube.com slash the craft beer channel and if you love what we do support us via patreon and get access to merchandise and our amazing discord forum a positive and welcoming space for everyone who loves beer food and homebrewing love and beer